My name is Ashley. My name is James. He's in recovery for drug addiction, and I'm navigating my own recovery in relation to that. Now that I started my blog to share my story, I think it's time for us to both share to continue helping others and shedding some light on the world of addiction. This is Speak Up Together. Do you think that was too wordy? Yeah, but you're always too wordy, so that's just kind of how you are. (laughs) Hello, everyone. So in this episode, now that we've kind of gotten through all the background information about you know, like your addiction and like my background with your addiction, I feel like we could take this next episode to kind of go into the different aspects of addiction in our relationship as a whole. So I have a couple notes, a couple questions and stuff that I figured I would bring up in um, in this sitting and then we can kind of discuss those. Um, yeah, it's very, very laid back, not very professional, but I figured this would be a good jumping off point. So the first thing I have written down is how did addiction influence or affect our relationship? So for me, I kind of think that in the beginning, I didn't really know anybody with an addiction. I didn't really have any kind of information on that. Um, The only thing I really had was just like stuff that I would see in the media, like in a TV show, in a movie. And, like, I really didn't have any kind of, like, personal knowledge on whether or not that was, like, correct, like, correct depictions. (laughs) Um, It wasn't really something that I, like, thought about that much. And so I just kind of thought that, you know, I kind of just had, like, a basic stereotype. Like, okay, well, you know, if, if you do drugs and you're considered a drug addict, then you're probably... I don't know. Felon. Yeah, you probably are, like, a criminal or, like just like a like a low life member of society and like I, I don't know or, or you know I, I didn't really have anything to go off of so when I first met you I didn't know any of that I just thought you were just like an average person that was really tall and <laughs> so like so when you first told me about all that I was like wow okay so you know apparently these people who are considered drug addicts can just be like yeah, the, the yeah, at the time, person. I was a, I was a, I was a manager, and I always dressed really nice and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you know, you had like your bow tie and stuff, and you were a manager of like a successful sales team at LA Fitness, and you know, like it, it was just like, wow, the, these people walk among us. You know, yeah. <laughs> like I had no idea. You know, so. something weird to think about is if, like, if you had had previous like experience with uh, addiction, like let's say you had like an uncle that was a drug addict or a criminal and did bad things and if you had like a negative experience growing up then you may have like ran at the thought of somebody being an addict in your life but because you didn't have those experiences yeah I was it like, set it up so that you didn't run when confronted with addiction yeah I was just like oh okay you know and so then I kind of you know jumped in head first into all that and I was researching and even though I didn't really understand most of what I was reading because it was all like scientific and how the drugs interact in the brain and stuff I'm like okay yeah okay sure so like I didn't really know but I figured okay if I'm going to like help you with this I kind of have to know what I'm dealing with so I I did that and um as I said before in the previous episode that around that time was the first time I ever went to an Arnon meeting which wasn't really helpful because of the way that it was structured it was like on the east coast and it was only through like 
um, text communication, like typing on a keyboard. There was no phone calls or anything. It was really weird. Um, but yeah, so that's how it was in the beginning. And then I thought that after the first time you went to rehab that you would be magically cured and you would never have any issues again. <laughs> yeah. Because this time is different because now I'm here to help you. And yeah. So then as time went on, um, I feel like I still kind of kept that, that kind of like, um, motivation to like be a support system and kind of like help you through it. Like, okay, you know, first time didn't work. Let's try it again. And, um, that was when, you know, as time went on and the years went on and stuff, and then we had nudie and everything, then it kind of got to a point where it was like, okay, then I started getting like resentful of it. Like, okay, seriously, like how long is this going to take? Like, is this going to be like this forever? Like every year or two, you're just going to have to go to rehab and like, we're just going to have to like schedule that into our lives. And it's going to be like a thing. Like, I didn't know. I was like, okay, well, you know, like I'm doing everything I think I'm supposed to do, which I wasn't, but I'm, I'm about due for another one. <laughs> another, I'm about due for another episode. <laughs> no, but at the time I'm like, I'm doing everything that I should be doing. And this is your thing. And you, you know, you like, what is it going to take? What is it going to take for you to finally, you know, snap out of it? Like this is getting ridiculous. I remember I told you, uh, I was 27 at the time and I told you I would have it down by 30. <laughs> and you're like, I got to deal with another three years of this. <laughs> Which, yeah. Um, luckily, so, I, I got it down by 28. Well, at least for now. Yeah. You never know. We're always just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> no. But, um, so, yeah. Then I was getting frustrated and everything. And so then, finally, at the very end of 2019, which is when the last cycle was, like, kind of getting towards the end, that was when I was like, okay, this is stupid. There's just one thing I haven't done yet, which was, like, I just wanted to stop being angry about it and just kind of, like, trying to find, like, a forge a new path, you know? And so that's when I started to start changing a bunch of things in my head and not trying to change you. And that's when things started to change. And it became, now, looking back on it, I don't look back on the years of, of those like times and everything. I don't look at it as like a negative thing. Like, oh, you know, like I don't want to talk about that or I just want to pretend like it never happened. It, d- it doesn't really have like any kind of emotional charge with it really. It's kind of just like, you know, it's just neutral, you know? Like I don't look back on it and get angry. I don't look back on it and try to make it sound like too bubbly and optimistic or anything, you know? It was just something that happened that was a part of our lives that caused us to get where we are today. And like I'm in a way thankful for it. And, yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I see the good in it now, but like I said, it's kind of nice to have it in a more neutral place and not like a some big, like, depressing scar or something, you know? Like, I don't... You're, you're a victim. Yeah, like, I'm a victim, and, oh, man, it was so terrible. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Like, I don't know. It was just, it's just a thing. But truly, I was the victim, though. <laughs> I have a disease. Yeah. <laughs> But we're gonna have to talk about that too, the whole disease yeah. thing. Yeah. But um but yeah, so I I guess that's just the point was that like I just I don't want it to be like this big scary thing. Like, oh yeah, this is my husband James and you know, he had problems with drugs, but we don't talk about it. It's just like a thing. It's like, yeah, you, you had problems with drugs and you take Suboxone and you're a human being and Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so the next note I have is, what are some things to consider when your partner has addiction? So, I guess, jumping off from my 
previous thing is to throw out some sarcasm <laughs> is um, you first you have to figure out what drug they're doing and then judge them based off of that. <laughs> Just, kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Well, yeah, I used to think that like meth was like the worst drug ever like oh god if you're doing that then you're just and, like and then and then i combined it with the other worst drug ever i know i'm like good lord who are you but yeah Monster. so yeah but they're just they're just different they're all drugs and they're just like preferences you know like they're not the best kind of preferences yeah like, but like they are yeah like whether you want like tapatio or if you want like uh, tabasco you know just in the end, because I, well, yeah, because I feel like if we if we continue talking about it, like, oh my God, meth is like the worst drug. Ever. Like, that's not helping anybody. It's just it's if you want to neutralize it, right? It's just a preference. Like, you just had a preference for opiates and amphetamines, but like and benzos, well, yeah, and everything that you could abuse. No, yeah, but, everything. But yeah, and like your preferences would change. There was that time when you uh, you know went through the alcoholic thing, and there were times where you know you took kratom and stuff. And so it's like really hard too because, you know, like I've been on different forums and stuff, just looking at things and just or just bored and stumbling upon something, and somebody will mention taking kratom. And so of course, like I could be like, oh god, you know, if you take kratom, then you're just gonna snowball into do it. But for some people, kratom helps. You know, it just it kind of just depends on who you are as a person and like what your preferences are and what helps you like what helps one person may not help somebody else and you know like for you like being on suboxone helps you but some people it doesn't or so, like different times of your life like before you took suboxone and it didn't really work out because you were like doing other stuff with it or like you know it just wasn't the best choice at the time for you but well, I, I would only have it like, i didn't i never had it prescribed so i'd only have it for like a few days and then once it once i ran out then i would just go get something else yeah so but now you're like under the care of a doctor and it's like legitimate and you're using it for the right reasons and stuff but but yeah so like when you have a partner that has an addiction like obviously i can't speak for everybody so i'm just gonna speak for myself like for me it was just important to consider like what my own what's the word not boundary but what my own limits were you know like for a long time apparently many... there's no limits you just love me no matter what <laughs> well no in terms of like <laughs> besides that in terms of like you know what distance i loved you at you know because i could still love you from far away but in the first couple years i was just like all hands-on and just completely all over every aspect of your life and like controlling different things and monitoring your meetings and monitoring this and that and even up to the very end you know like we did like the home detox thing right before and I was like in charge of your methadone and in charge of like how much I gave you and this and that and everything and like looking back now I feel like that was like it well for one it didn't work and two it was just like way too much overstepping of things like I shouldn't have been in control of something like that because it ended up just making things really stressful and like I'm not qualified to do that <laughs> it could have it could have ended up like a lot worse and stuff you know or even like drug testing you for some people you know drug testing your partner might work but for me I just felt like that was just another thing that I had to keep track of like okay I gotta go order drug tests off of Amazon and then I gotta drug test you whenever I think that you're doing something weird and then even if you weren't doing something weird then it would just add to like are like resentments and arguments with each other because they need to be like oh well now I'm just gonna be drug tested for the rest of my life whenever I do something that might be considered weird you know like it just added extra aspects of our relationship that weren't really needed and so for me I finally figured out after I tried every single thing at the very end was that 
it was important for me to just like focus on myself because I was never really focusing on myself in the years prior to that. Like you would go to rehab and then I would have like, you know, 30 days where, you know, the first couple weeks it would be really hard because I'd have to try to figure out how to do everything on my own, like with nudie and, and with my scheduling and everything and being upset you were gone. And then I would have some time to kind of like, I don't know, start working on myself again, whether it was like reading a book or practicing, you know, like meditating or self-care or whatever. But then when you came back, I would slide right back into the way things were before. So I would never really keep up with any improvement. And so like I finally realized after that, you know, how whole time you were gone, I didn't know when you were coming back, but I knew that I had to like keep doing what I was doing to help myself while you were gone. And then whenever you came back, I had to still do it, but it just worked out that you just never came back to live at that place until we moved like almost a year later. But yeah, so that, that was just really important for me to figure out like what my limits are and being okay with making different choices based on that. We didn't live together for like a full year. I know. I never, Or more. I didn't notice that because you would always come back on the weekends and then I just like... Well, and also, I mean, before I... I lived, I lived out there, but I didn't live with you. And that was for, like, quite a while, but I would still see you all the time. Yeah, I forgot about that. Cause it's yeah, just you're... weird, because, like, for, like, the longest time, <laughs> I was living in a sober living. And then, for I remember for weeks at a time, I don't think I even saw you at all, because you weren't talking to me. And, oh, because I, I, I wouldn't get clean, so I couldn't see you or nudie. But... That year, I remember I went to detox twice, and I was never even living with you, so I never was, like, at the house or anything. Yeah, that is true. It's just I, weird. It's weird to think... I just feel like our relation... Like, even though, obviously, our relationship was rocky at times, I feel like, I, in my mind, I don't feel like we were ever, like, not living together. Like, but apparently we were, and it's just weird. Yeah, but we would still get in a lot of arguments, even though we were living together. <laughs> I can only imagine. I don't I don't remember them, but I'm sure you do. But yeah, so I mean, that was like a big thing. And also going back to the to the first question about like what influenced and affected our relationship, like trust is like a huge thing cuz like as I mentioned before, you know, like with with like drug tests and stuff, like there's like a huge element of trust in it. And I always thought that like you know, like, we would be in a place where I would, like, trust you and that if anything ever happened that I would never be able to trust you again. But it actually is something that you're able to build up again based, you know, like, for me, as you would continue to do better in your recovery, like, it, it, it helped that. But I wasn't just basing my entire well-being on whether or not I could trust you or whether or not you were doing well. You know, like, that's... Trust is very important in a relationship, but if, like, when we had times where maybe the trust wasn't there, like, I didn't really feel like you know, it was something that I was going to give up on or anything, you know, I feel like we were able to build it back and stuff. As long as I was, like I said, continuing to do things that kept me good. As long as I trusted myself, as cliche as that sound sounds, I was able to build back that trust with you because I was able to be in a place where I felt good no matter what, which allowed me to then feel more comfortable with you. If I was basing my entire well-being my livelihood, whether or not I was going to be able to be okay with like finances or anything. If I was basing that off of you and how you were doing, it puts a lot of unnecessary pressure and responsibility on you that isn't necessarily warranted. 
Yeah, and, and that, that affects the relationship. It affects the confidence of the addict, um, especially if they can sense like that all that pressure is placed on them. Yeah, like... At least in the beginning. Yeah, and then that would, like, affect your recovery because then, like, like you said in the previous episode, like, if you're in a rehab and then you're, like, trying to stand on your own two feet and I'm just, like, calling you, like, hey, when are you going to come home? Are you going to come home? Like, I need you. And, like, that's not going to help. Or just calling... If, if you have an addict in early recovery and you're just calling to vent to them about all how hard things are without them, like, that's just really... It's really difficult for... You think of an addict, you're, like, talking basically to, like, an adolescent, like a child. Um, no matter how old they are, they're basically like a child again when they're, like, getting clean. So it's almost like putting a lot of weight on a kid. Yeah. Or even, like, the flip side of that. Like, being too positive. Like, oh, this is great. You know, you're going to be coming out in, like, a week. And then you can come back and move with us. And it's going to be great. And then you're going to get a new job. And, then like, that puts a lot of pressure on you, too. Because you're like, oh, my God. Like, I'm just getting back to being a human. Like, just give me a minute. Because I would do that, too. If I yeah. wasn't super negative, I would also, I would flip sometimes and be like, yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then I would be really disappointed because I would put all of my hopes and dreams on you and then be really disappointed when things didn't turn out the way I planned because, like, that's just not realistic at all to do that. And it was unfair to put all that pressure on you, too. How dare you. <laughs> but the last time, it was better because we had a lot of, like, physical distance because, you know, you were, like, in L.A. and then you stayed in L.A. with your sober living and this and that. So it allowed us to kind of, like, like forced us to do, like, building from the ground up. You know, like getting that good foundation in. I was still able to keep doing what I was doing. You were able to keep doing what you were doing. We would see you on the weekends. I think it it helped actually to only be immersed in the family life on the weekends because even that was like really draining for me to try to be like a dad again and uh, you know a fiance again. Um, to, to have that, like, if I were to immerse myself into that right in the beginning, like, seven days a week, I feel like I probably would have broke at some point. I would have broke and I would have relapsed. Yeah, because it, it gets to be a lot. Like, you know, like, I get overwhelmed, you know, a, a lot because that's just how I am. But, you know, I, and I'm, like, fully functioning and, like, you know, like, healthy and whatnot. Like, I could only imagine what that would be like when you're, like, coming out of a, you know, like what depressive state because you're like getting everything rebalanced in your brain well, and stuff and it's just it's just a lot you were like in, by yourself in a facility and then you come out and you're just like thrown to normal life and stuff like it's a big adjustment yeah and um so like when whenever i see like you know stories of people that are uh, addicts and their parents and they have like small children i feel like the common view is like well like wouldn't you want to do better for your children wouldn't your children? Wouldn't you just look into your child's eye and then you just you just want to do well for them? And it's like it's almost like the exact opposite. Like the um, having to to entertain and take care of a of a kid could actually make it much more difficult uh, to actually get sober, just because of how persistent and needy uh, children are. So. It's it's all it's, it's difficult, and if you get immersed back into your kid's life, in early recovery, I I feel like it could put a lot of guilt and shame, and um, well, it could be overwhelming on on somebody. 
So that's why I feel like people that are, you know, earlier in recovery, I feel like they should be slowly introduced into family life instead of just thrown into family life like seven days a week right after you know rehab. Well, that was another thing too. That was when we got Nudie into therapy because, like, I didn't. She wasn't really exhibiting any kind of behaviors that I thought warranted a therapist. It was just something that I was thinking, like, hey, you know, like I just want to make sure everything's good with her because she's getting older. And you know, this last run was, you know, when she was like, I don't even know. I can't do math right now. Three, <laughs> but she was she was older and starting to understand different things and noticing that you weren't around as much and stuff. And so we took her to a therapist, and then you went with one at one session because the other ones were during the week, so you weren't there. But yeah, so it just like you know, I just wanted to make sure things were good with her because I don't know about early childhood development, but I just didn't want it to be like where she she would understand that you were sick, but maybe she wouldn't understand that that meant that you wouldn't be like able to play as much or be as around as much or like as involved with what she was doing as much because you were still you know trying to come back to like a normal way of operating and living and stuff and it turns out that yeah everything was fine and she didn't think anything was weird of it and stuff and she did notice that you know you were gone and um was having to adjust to that but everything was fine and so like you know for me I felt comforted by having a therapist for her because then I knew she was good I knew that I was good because we had our therapist and I feel like that was like a really like a healthier way of doing that because we had never done that before so then having that communication too with me and you me and her therapist our therapists and stuff I feel like that really helped to get us on a good foundation too because it kind of showed us that like okay we're okay doing things like this you know like I don't have to feel as though I have to like push you to interact with Nudie any more than you need to because she's fine and then you know because that was a big concern of mine too was making sure that like she was good and you were interacting with her enough but after we had the therapist you know not to reiterate but that kind of calmed my fears too and like concerns that I had with that so yeah I was gonna say something else and I forgot but <laughs> But let's see. Okay, so the next thing I have written down is how can the unaddicted partner help the other in a healthy way? So I feel like we kind of touched on that already. But basically just um, coming up with boundaries is a, is a huge thing, which I feel like everybody's like the number that, one thing. Yeah, because you don't want to enable. But boundaries are different for everybody. I mean, there are some that, of course, you know, will be pretty similar. No drugs. But yeah, you know, like how... like. That's another thing, too, is that if you aren't good on your own two feet, it's really hard to make a boundary and stick with it. Because, like, in the years prior, you know, I would read somewhere that's like, okay, here's a, an example of a boundary. And I'd be like, okay, cool. This is an example of a boundary. I don't even have to think of one. It's handed to me. Here we go. I'm going to enforce that. But, like, if I don't actually agree with it or if I have, like, conflicting feelings on it, I'm not going to be able to, like, enforce the boundary because I don't believe in it. So, like, if you end up crossing the boundary, I'm going to be like, well you know, this time it's fine because, like, I don't really agree with it. And the next time I could, like, fly off the handle with it. And that's going to confuse you because you're like, okay, well, what? Is it okay or is it not okay? And then I'm going to get conflicted and I'm going to get, like, uncomfortable about it because I don't know what I'm doing. Like, let's say in the years prior it was like, okay, any drug that you take, you're kicked out. Okay, well, what drug, like, is Kratom okay? Is, like, being on mat okay? Is, like, is it always going to be like that? And then, like, if I caught you doing drugs, would I be, like, okay enough to actually kick you out? Or would I go back on it and be like, well, 
don't do it next time because I wasn't, you know, sure of myself back then. You know, so it kind of has to do a lot with like, you kind of have to get good in yourself to then make a boundary. Otherwise, you're going to flip flop back on it and it's not going to help anybody. And I did that a lot. And I'm sure that probably didn't help Facts. with you either. It's really, it's really easy to threaten a boundary. It's just a lot different to enforce it. Yeah. Cause I so can... like threatening a boundary, like, oh yeah, do a drug again, you're kicked out. That's super easy. But okay, then I did a drug again. Now what? Yeah. And then you'd be like, well, and then you would like, you know, the cunning part of your brain would be like, oh, well, she's not going to do that. Yeah. But I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, guess you're going to kick me out now. I better start packing my stuff. Yeah. And then I'm like, no, you can't be excited about that or be okay with it. You have to be like yeah. begging me like, no, don't leave. Oh, I'll just start, I'll start packing. I got, I got enough drugs last me next couple days. <laughs> or like, you know, if, if you, if I kick you out, then, you know, you can't ask me for money and blah, blah, blah. And then you'd be like, well, can I have something? And I'd be like, well, you know, like, I don't want you to, to be hungry. Okay. Here's like, you know, and then you wouldn't even. I don't think you would ever do that, but. Well, yeah, but no, well, no, there was a time at the very end when you were like, I remember you were asking for gas and I, I said, no. Yeah, you said no, but that was, and, I was yeah. like out of my mind. Yeah. You were really mad, but I was okay. But yeah, so things like I that. I really didn't eat gas. I ran out of gas. But luckily I did. <laughs> so my, my my dad found me up on the side of the road and took back all the jewelry I took. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that whole episode. I think I was at the gym. And I was like, oh. So yeah. so you were at, which, oh, you were at the InShape? Mm-hmm. Oh, because I was like over by Planet Fitness. Oh, yeah. No, I was at InShape. That was back when I went there. Before it closed. I like that gym. But yeah, so that's a good way to help boundaries um taking care of yourself because that's how you make boundaries but also if i'm just like obsessed with every aspect of your life that doesn't help anything you know i have to be kind of like when we were talking about like codependency and like you know like i would never be okay like outside of drugs like i would never be okay if you like went and did something like you went and hung out with dan or something like, I'd be like, well, when are you coming back? Like, when are you doing, uh, uh. And I would be, like, so uncomfortable with being by myself. Like, well, I can't come up with something. Like, what am I supposed to do? Just wait for you to come back? But that's, like, really unhealthy. So being, yeah. being like, my own person helped a lot, too. Because then I was able to figure out, like, what I wanted in life, what was okay and what wasn't okay. And I was also okay with you being gone. You know, like. When you went to rehab the last time. Since you've been gone. <laughs> when you went to rehab the last time, I was okay with taking care of Nudie and going to work and doing this and doing that. And I was able to do everything just fine. You know, like I wasn't worried about finances or I wasn't worried about when you're coming back and this and that or whatever. And I w- it gave you the space and the freedom to work on yourself. And then I wasn't, you know, too overbearing and, and like, okay, so when you get out, then you got to do meetings. Like you got out of the rehab. I went to the sober living and like I had no idea. I had no idea what was going on there. I had no idea if they forced you to go to meetings and I didn't really care that much because I figured that you would be fine. You know, you went and you got a job and you did this and that and everything was great. It allowed us to be... I remember when I got a job, you were telling me like, like you know, you don't have to get a job just to get a job, right? Yeah, because then I would kind of do that sometimes. Too, we, got like go... a, we got in like a fight. <laughs> we got in a fight over me getting a job and Cause it worked out because I was able to uh, flush your savings. <laughs> But yeah, but that's another thing is that, like I would kind of go like the other way again where I'm like, oh, it's fine. You don't have to do that. We don't need anything instead of being like healthy and like actually co-creating together. That came along later. But but yeah, you know, like it allowed us to be independent people who could then make a healthy relationship. 
which we had never really had before because we were always like so enmeshed in stuff. But yeah, because I used to think that like if we were too independent, that we would just like not be together anymore. Because I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I feel like, yeah, you always <laughs> thought if we were too in- too independent, I would all of a sudden realize like, oh, I don't need this. Yeah, like, are you sure? Like, I would always bring that up too. Like, are you sure you you want to be in a relationship? You know, like, it's not that I don't want to be in a relationship. I just but want, is that good I just want you, you to, I just want you to know that like you don't have to be just because you think like we need you. Because <laughs> I just wanted to give you, you know, An out? like yeah, like your freedom. Like, okay, you, know, you even like, tried to I do understand. that before we got married. I know because it's just you know I didn't wake up one day and like oh everything's solved. But like yeah, I still had things like that where I'm like okay you know like if this isn't what you want you know just I don't know I'm like an overthinker so I just I don't know I always you want to check the recording time oh yeah I don't want to mess up like last time okay we're good all right but yeah so I'm still working on that but I don't know (laughs) okay so where am I okay boundaries and how they benefit both sides okay yeah we already talked about that you know like not forcing anything not forcing you to do because that's that's the thing is that I can look at an article or something this is what your partner should be doing if they're in recovery you know this is how to support them make sure they go to meetings make sure they do this that so then I could take that and be like okay this article said that you need to do 90 meetings in 90 days and you need to be doing this and it says it's really good if you work out because it it makes endorphins in your brain and it's really good if you eat healthy and take these vitamins and then if I see that and I'm like hey you need to be doing these things you might not want to do that you might not want to work out or take specific vitamins or do whatever this article says like it doesn't it's not like a textbook of like okay if your partner isn't doing this and they're just going to relapse again it just depends on what is preference to each individual person yeah but to, to give that article you know if that article exists credit i mean i think for some people having a, a requirement of meet, meetings and holding certain responsibilities can be a good thing yeah my point is that it's, it's, it, it didn't work out for me i mean i just didn't i just stopped going to the meeting so i don't know <laughs> well like dan like he he always talks about you know like having going to a bunch of meetings and then having like responsibilities at the meetings because like some people like are like what greeters and some people you know make the coffee or whatever well they run they have to run the meetings or all addicts or alcoholics yeah so like you know if you go you get certain responsibilities that are given to you by your sponsor and you have to go i remember you used to do that like you have to go early and like set up the chairs or different things like that what about it i don't know i was just talking about that for some reason okay Oh, how it like how it can help people. Like if you have responsibilities and you go to meetings and stuff, like that could be good, you know, to do 90 meetings in 90 days or whatever, but, you know, for you personally. Well, yeah, it's just the idea of getting involved and then once you get once you follow the whole program, it's that you have people above you and then people below you. People below you look to you as their sponsor and then you have your sponsor and then you basically get a mesh so like it becomes a lot more difficult to relapse. Yeah. You have to you have to hurt a lot of social relationships in order to relapse. Yeah, and so like my point was that like, you know, it might work for a lot of people, but like if there's one circumstance where like it doesn't like for you, that just wasn't the way that things worked out for you. Like being an enforcer, making sure that you do these certain things wasn't gonna it wasn't gonna help our relationship at all. It was just yeah. gonna, it was just gonna make it weird, you know, because then I was doing things that like. 
weren't necessary and I should have been, you know, more focused on myself instead of doing that. Oops. <laughs> the phone turned off with my notes. Okay. All right. Finances. And that's all it is, just one word, finances. So for at the beginning of our relationship, we had separate finances, obviously, because we weren't together. <laughs> but I would I used to give you like my credit card or whatever because you know, like when I worked, I would want to make sure that you had money to get things, like if you were hungry, if you needed food or groceries or whatever. And that didn't really end too well. But Yeah. But at the time, that's what I thought that I needed to do. Which... That, that was my survival credit card. <laughs> I think you gave me a limit of like $100 a week. I don't remember. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was $100 a week. Okay, yeah. Something like that. So that was like, what, $20 a day because we hung out on the weekends? I don't know. But yeah, so at the time, that was what I thought I needed to do. And that didn't work. But at the time, I thought that it did. Whatever. And well, it so... did work. It worked out great for me. <laughs> But then, as time went on, we, I don't know, I think we still, we didn't have a joint account or anything until recently, within the past year, but before that, we would each have our own checking account, but we would, sh we would still share money, you know, like, we would put money together, and we, I would, like, allocate it to different things, like, you know, rent, or whatever other bills we had, like, car insurance, or whatever, but, um, I didn't, I started making kind of like whatever they they call it like what a nest egg like our our big group of like emergency fund basically so i would have that it's called the savings yeah but i was more of like an emergency fund like not just saving because we have a savings now but it's just that's like the money that we don't touch I, for anything i i feel like calling it a bunch of different things is like what you do but i don't feel like it i know i don't call it a nest egg or a safety net okay, or a fine. savings just, it's just okay. all the same thing fine it's a, okay our savings account in the beginning i had it in an envelope that i would just hide under the the little closet thing in the room because i thought that you couldn't see it there because you're so tall but yeah so we would have that but then once that one episode where you ended up like taking it for whatever reason i put it in my name only because I thought that it would kind of prevent it from happening again, where it would mysteriously disappear. So that was when I had my savings account that was in my name only, and I you didn't have any access to that. But now we have a joint checking account that has both of our names on it, and really I really think about it as a big stretch to get us to have a joint account. I know because now I still have that savings account separate, just because it makes me feel better, I guess. And then it, it kind of like restricts access to it because I kind of forget about it because I'm so focused about our joint checking account but yeah I mean now I feel more comfortable putting our, our money together you know but it took a while for us to do that just because we didn't live in the same area but once you know once it got closer to the end of last year that's, that's when we started it because I figured it was right but yeah I feel like it's really good to have a joint checking account now because it kind of shows like where my trust is at and stuff you know like I don't feel like I have to hide money away from you anymore because I think that you're going to take it or anything crazy like that, you know? Like, there's... I don't know. I feel like that brings, like, a, another aspect of, like, how much better we're doing now because there's that comfortableness with that. And, uh... Yeah. Well, then you just gave me most of the money to play with on the stock market and the... 
yeah. crypto market, yeah, which is now down like six thousand dollars. <laughs> so the thirteen thousand we had is like now like seven thousand or something. <laughs> but yeah, that's the point. You know, it's not always going to go up. But that's the that's a huge thing too because like I still have our emergency fund in my own name, but I also felt comfortable enough to be like, okay, you know, like we're doing okay. Like we can, we have, you know, like just sitting in a savings account, like isn't really doing a whole lot. But yeah, I felt comfortable enough to actually, you know, give that to you, have it be under your responsibility. And I don't even have access to it because I don't want to see any of it. I don't want to get stressed out about how much it's going up or going down or whatever. Like, but it's helped me too, because you know, even outside of your addiction, I was always someone who thought that money was like finite, you know, like, like I have to save every penny I have because I don't want to get to a place where I, you know, I'm going to need it. And like, you know, you only get like a certain amount of money with this and, you know, we can't spend it on anything fun or extracurricular or whatever, because it should be going to something more responsible. So, so have what? Something fun to think about is when inflation is high, um, spending your money is actually more profitable than saving it because save the, every dollar you save is uh, less uh, has less value and every dollar you spend has more value than if you saved it oh so that's why inflation is bad for savers oh interesting good to know you don't care no I do it's a, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around that because like inflation to I'll, me makes like no sense but I'll give you an example let's say you have like $20,000 you invested into a house the house may appreciate in value but if you were to save that money as cash you couldn't put it you know down on the same house 20 years down the line but that house might keep the value that you'd put it in so you want to put your money into assets that keep their value unlike the dollar which doesn't oh okay yeah. <laughs> but yeah so basically so we should buy a house no but basically yeah so that that thinking about doing that like I don't know three years ago would be like really like why would I give you that much like that's crazy to have you do that like it's got to sit in its own little thing and like even if it doesn't you know make that much interest or whatever it's just sitting there and it's safe and we might need it for an emergency but now we still have an emergency fund and also it's kind of like helping me to be more comfortable with that it's you know because I've never really been spontaneous or anything I have to have everything planned and scheduled and if you go out of that schedule I lose my mind so to be able to do that makes me really appreciate how far I've come in my own growth too, you know, to be able to still have a safety net of sorts and also be able to branch out too because you are more spontaneous than I am. So I feel like, you know, through this whole process, you've made me more spontaneous and I've made you more like responsible, I guess, if that's the right word, because I don't want to make it sound like you're completely irresponsible, but you know what I mean? So yeah, so... With our finances, I feel like we've become a lot more responsible with that while also using that as a reflection of trust and where we're at. So I feel like that's been really good for us. Um, let's see. We already talked about drug testing and stuff because I don't really like doing that anymore because I feel like it kind of just shows a lack of trust in both myself and you with doing that. Um, the ways that the unaddicted partner becomes sick and negatively influences the relationship. So yeah, whether or not you were in active addiction or not, um, I could still very well be unwell. Maybe not sick in the same way that you were, but 
in a way that would negatively infect or <laughs> impact or affect our relationship and just our family dynamic as a whole. Because, let's see, let's say that you went to rehab and you came back and were, you weren't behaving in a way that I thought you should be coming back. I could use that as a way to resent you, which would then cause a lot of problems in the moment, but also down the line. Or like if I was still holding on to the events that had happened before you went to rehab, if I was just constantly emotionally affected by that and emotionally hurt by it, you know, for me, I personally, like if I'm hurt by something, I'll, if I don't directly bring it up, I'll like indirectly start arguments with you or do something like that as a way for me to like punish you for what you did if you don't actually like apologize for it or like if you don't give me the kind of reaction that I need about it. So that's something that would, you know, negatively impact your recovery too. You know, if I, if you were trying to better yourself and I felt that you didn't show the kind of response that you should have regarding what you did, then I would see, I would think that that was unfair. Like, well, how can you just go to rehab and work on yourself and like move on so easily from that when I'm just like sitting here hurt from all that? Like, I remember everything. I remember everything that you did or you know, I went through a lot or I had to do a lot of stuff and like, you know, to be able to just like move past that like that is like, you know, it's unfair and that would make me, it would cause me, it would cause me to be angry, which, you know, would cause problems with us and then you'd have to deal with that. Not only do you have to deal with trying to, you know, regulate yourself and become, you know, more evened out and normal to like how you were before without drugs, but you know, you'd have to deal with me and trying to put out fires with me all the time. And that, I'm sure that didn't help either, you know, like it would... I, I remember a lot of times I would um, use the excuse of going back to using drugs. I would just say that, um, well, like, you know, she doesn't, she just, you know, treats me, you know, bad whether, whether I'm sober or not. And so there's no point in trying to stay sober. Yeah. And then once I heard that, I'm like, oh, well, I'm just the reason that you're using drugs. I'm just the, but I mean, indirectly in a way, kind of, because like, if I'm claiming to be someone who's, you know, here to support you and stuff, but all I keep doing is tearing you down, that's not going to help anyone. That's just going to further my resentment of you or your actions. It's going to further my disappointment with like life and stuff and like my negative demeanor and everything. It just doesn't do anything. It doesn't help anybody. And so in order to like, you know, start my own recovery and stuff, I had to be doing things that actively brought me back to being normal because, you know, I, I used to think that like, I wasn't the one with the problem. Well, you're the one using drugs, but I still developed my own ways of dealing with that and stuff that I needed to get rid of in a sense to be able to move forward. Cause like no matter how many times you went to rehab and tried to get better and recover and, and you know be sober and stuff if i just kept pulling you backwards we would just stay in the same cycle you know it works both ways we both had to do something that was good for us to be able to interact with each other in a healthy way that would you know um do its best to prevent that from happening again so that was like a huge thing too or going back to the independence thing like if I was just even if I wasn't you know resentful and angry and spiteful or whatever if I was too emotionally reliant on you that would also cause problems even though I wasn't actively doing something to upset you 
or to cause arguments or disagreements or whatever, it was still something that was emotionally draining. You know, if I'm just constantly going to you and needing like, you know, like emotional support and stuff, like you weren't always in a place where you could handle that or you could actually give that to me. So that's something that would impact things a lot too, you know, like it's, and I feel like that's why I feel like Naranon meetings are so small. You know, like you see NA meetings and AA meetings and all kinds of different meetings for like those with substance abuse you know, problems and alcohol problems and everything. And these meetings are filled with people. If you think about it, they all, well, most of them, you know, have family members and friends and this and that or whatever. So you would think that Naranon meetings would be like exponentially larger than, you know, the NA meetings and NA meetings that they stem from, but they're so small. They're so small. There's like, you know, or even like the people that are like me, just in general, the people that talk about this kind of stuff or the people that, you know, or that want to talk about it or whatever, you know, like it's, it's very small because I feel like I always wondered about that. Like, well, why? Well, a lot of people don't like to admit that they also have problems because they just think it's their spouse or their family member or whatever, you know, cause they're not the ones doing drugs, but also they just, you know, or embarrassed about it or whatever. But it took me a long time to realize that I also had like my own faults and stuff and my own things that I was bringing to the table that were making things like unhealthy. You know, like I couldn't put all the responsibility on you. Like, well, once you get better, then everything's going to be absolutely perfect. And I've seen firsthand that that was not the case. Yeah, and I feel like a, a, lot, of, a lot of the time, like I go, like me going back to using was that I felt like, okay, I've been clean and things are not better and there's still unhappiness and there's still stress, which is really, I mean, I just had to deal with in general, but yeah, a lot of times things can get worse before they get better, especially in like in a relationship. Yeah, into- Where like, it would always hit so that right as I was getting over the trauma of my addiction, you would be all of a sudden exuding all of the trauma of the addiction. <laughs> so like it would just time itself in a way we're like, I feel free, and now you're in my way. Yeah. And two, like, it's hard, too, to expect you to right your wrongs or whatever or acknowledge any specific point of pain or anything that I'd had from before. Because for one, like, I could create stories in my head about a particular issue or incidents that you might not have any idea about. So I would be over here angry about some incident that had happened when you might not even have any idea of it or you would think that it was something that was like minuscule in comparison to what's in my head you know like I could be you know like well I don't know why you wouldn't just apologize about that but you could have no idea what I'm even talking about so it's like my job to you know be okay with myself working on myself finding out okay you know if there's an most of the things I could just work through on my own, but if there was actually an issue that was like that big, I needed to be in a place that I could actually communicate with you about it so that we can kind of like have a discussion about it or like bring it up in therapy or whatever. But what I found too, even with our therapy like then and now, most things I don't even want to bring up anymore because it's so, you know, it's not even a big deal. Once I work through it on my own and I understand what actually happened and I kind of like I don't know, work through my emotions because I could be very emotional sometimes and very quick to judge When and you stuff. say work through stuff, are you talking about like why questions? Like why would you do that? Or why did you do that? 
Oh, like me working through, like... No, stuff? like, um, let me see. I need to work through a situation. What is... Are you talking about, like, a situation where, like, why... Asking why I would do something or why did I do something that hurt you? I'm just... I don't want to know what you mean by working through stuff. Like, what oh, would you so need like, to work through? Well, yeah. Like, if, it, if I just had, like, a situation or something where, like, we had an argument or something that you did, like, if, like caused me to be upset or whatever working through it would be like yeah like asking you like why you did it maybe i misunderstood you maybe it was like something like that i would just always default to yeah you definitely misunderstood (laughs) me (laughs) but no but you know what i mean yeah like uh you know like figuring it out from your side of things and stuff you know being able to see both sides instead of just like well i'm here i'm upset you need to solve that or you need to acknowledge that it's like a two-sided thing you know, I feel like we do that now, even with, you know, the little disagreements and arguments that we have. Like, I can be very quick to be like, well, you did this, and I don't see how I had any involvement in this, but it turns out that I did. And, you know, it's just something that, like, if it's something that is really hard to get over for me, like, if I feel like I can't, like, calm down on my own, then maybe we can get to a point where we can talk about it. But most things, I feel like, blow over pretty quickly because I realize, like, okay, you know, I was just upset about something else and I let this get to me too much. Or, you know, I was just tired or I was just hungry or, you know, like, I, I don't feel like most disagreements or whatever are actually that big of a thing anymore once I was able to see where I was coming from and where you were coming from. So, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have one last thing, which I feel like I kind of touched on, but how to handle active addiction in a relationship. Yeah, just like boundaries. Um, for me, during certain parts, I wouldn't like allow you to be around us just because I felt like that was unhealthy. Before, I felt like I had to have you around us all the time, so I didn't want anything bad to happen to you, but. You know, I realized I really couldn't prevent that from happening anyways. It was just another aspect of, like, trying to control the situation and stuff. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that worked for us for a little bit because it kind of, you know, helped to keep my environment a little bit more positive and a little bit less chaotic. Um, yeah, it kind of just depends on, you know... For us, it was never the same at any given time. It kind of just evolved as time went on. And, um, yeah, I couldn't really... I couldn't really listen to anything specific that other people had told me because sometimes I didn't agree with it or sometimes it just I felt like it really didn't apply or, like, I wasn't in a place where I could be, like, that strong-minded on any given thing. Like, well, I can't just kick you out because I don't even feel, like, okay with that or whatever, but... Yeah, as time went on and I kind of got a feel for things and kind of understood things more, kind of understood myself more and what I could and didn't want to, or I could handle and didn't want to deal with, I kind of was able to handle that a lot better. But I kind of just had to get to a place where, like, I knew that I couldn't control your overall well-being. You know, like, I couldn't prevent bad things from happening to you. I couldn't be in control of any action you made, even if you were living with us. Like, I couldn't hand, or I couldn't be in control of, you know, any of your little actions during the day and stuff. The more I tried to restrict things that you would do, the more difficult things got for me. And it just, it never, it never ended up the way that I envisioned it. So I kind of just had to get to a place where I just released control and was like, okay, you know, like, I'm going to support you from where I am. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'll be 
around you or living with you or talking to you all the time, but that's just the way it has to be because that's just how I feel like, you know, that's going to be the best for both of us right now. So, yeah. Do you have any input on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, just realizing that rehab also doesn't fix anybody. It's not a cure. Yeah. And that... um Somebody can go to treatment, but it doesn't mean they're treated. What are you doing? Oh, sorry. Just so I could see the time. No, I know. I just didn't know if my phone froze or something. Did it freeze? Hmm, I don't know. I don't know. That's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, sometimes treatment can be overrated. So if you have somebody in active addiction, depending on what drug they're using, they may, they may be able to quit at home. But... If you can't manage that, then treatment is good. But I think you can't be overrated that it's gonna like you know fix them. It's a good reset, but don't don't sink thirty grand into a treatment center, <laughs> thinking that's gonna be the end all be all for the addiction. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to think that every time, like, okay, you're gonna go to rehab and then it's gonna be great, but it's it's a long process. There's work needed on both sides, but it doesn't have to be as daunting as as it seems, you know, like with, with everybody describing it and you see it in movies and stuff, it doesn't have to be quite as dramatic, you know, like I felt like the last time around, it wasn't dramatic, you know, like I was able to be okay with you being upset or be okay with you working through things or being okay with you not being 100% of what I envisioned you would be at any given time because recovery is not linear and, you know. So it's just, it's basically what you make it, you know? So I feel like with our relationship, it was kind of dramatic at times, but looking back on it now, we're able to talk about it and it's more neutral and going forward, I feel like our relationship is also neutral. You know, like I don't have, you know. So that's what I always wanted, a neutral relationship. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Like I don't have, I'm not like spending my time waiting for the other shoe to drop. Like, oh, things are so good right now, but it's only a matter of time until... You know, it all gets destroyed, but I'm also not like, oh, yeah, everything's going to be absolutely perfect from this point forward. We're never going to argue and we're never going to have any problems with anything. Like, now the drugs aren't involved, there's, you know, no. Like, it's just, now I feel like we're finally more normal. And, you know, I like that. You know, I like being in a place where I'm okay right now and no matter what happens, I feel like we'll be good and okay and we'll be able to get through it because we have that background knowledge, so... Indeed. Yeah. yeah. But that's all my notes that I have today. So. To be continued. Yeah. Until next time. <laughs>